Hey, Nick. Welcome aboard, man. What's going on, brother? Not too much. How you doing today? Oh, I just got to pepper spray a whole class full of people, so I'm happy. <laughs> Sounds entertaining. All right, to start this off, um, I'm going to throw a little disclaimer in here. Uh, your views do not represent me. Uh, my views do not represent you. Um, and to my listeners, uh, please give uh, my guests the utmost respect in your questions um, that we could use in a future uh, podcast or the questions that I'm currently bringing in through some other social media. Uh, and Nick, you're welcome to introduce yourself. I do want you to acknowledge the fact that um, sometimes my content is only listened to by 20 or 30 people. And then other times I've had videos and, and sound bites go uh, to two or 300,000 people. Um, so I do want you to be aware, aware of that with everything you say and give that due consideration uh, when you do, uh, do speak on yourself. Uh, so if you would like, just kind of give me an idea of who you are, uh, what you do. Um, and yeah, we'll go from there. All right. So, uh, first good evening. Uh, it's good to talk to you again, but I ain't talked to you in a long time, uh, other than text, but, um, so I am a, a corrections officer in Virginia. I've been doing that for close to 19 years. Um, that's what I do for a living. So that's what I do. But who I am is um, I'm a constitutionalist. Uh, I believe in the, the foundational principles as listed in the Constitution and the other founding documents of America. I believe that it's the most um, fair and equitable and just system that has been derived by man to this point. And, yeah, it's, it's flawed and there's things that can be better. But, you know, the genius of that document, those papers, is that it provides for a, a means by which it can be improved. So, um you know, I'm an, I'm an originalist. Um, I do align more to the right politically, but that's only because the left is so, so damn insane that, uh, there's no way I can really do anything that agrees with, with their standpoints. Um, I've got a big fat libertarian streak running right down through the middle of that. So some of the, I depart from the right on a lot of things. Um, uh, typically with, uh, domestic, some domestic and, and a lot of foreign policy stuff too. So, uh, I'm not a dyed in the wool diehard GOP guy by any means, because there's a bunch of turds on that side of the aisle too. But uh, I definitely don't align with anything to the left. Other than that, uh, we'll just see, see where it goes and, and what kind of new types of ideas we can come up with. Fantastic, man. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's great to talk to you. Uh, you're one of the few people I've looked to in my life and uh, somewhat consider a role model. Um, and I appreciate, appreciate the work you do. Uh, so I've had a lot of people on the show that I've had people who are left wing. I've had people who are right wing. I've had people who are 17 years old about to graduate high school and they are ultimately the future of America, the America that your generation is going to be leaving for my generation. And now I'm having you on the show, which I believe that you are the oldest person that I've had here on the show. Uh, <laughs> so I got to take my little, my little stab there as well. Um, Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but as a, uh, as an American man uh, who works in a, a, who works in a law enforcement capacity and I, and I understand the, 
the debate between, you know, your road cops and your prison uh, officers, but both sides are law enforcement capacity. The ones on the road, you know, they deal with, they deal with an inmate. Uh, they deal with a, with somebody for an hour. They have their whole tool bill of supplies. And then uh, someone like yourself, and, and I've been in, in this, in your same shoes as a correctional officer. Uh, we deal with those people 24 uh, seven, usually in a room with maybe 60 other men. And all we have is pepper spray and our words. Um, so it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of mental uh, constitution for that. It takes a lot of dedication for that. Uh, so if you've held this job for, for 19 years, it really portrays you as somebody who is dedicated uh, to what you do. It portrays you as someone who is mentally strong, mentally tough. Um, and with that being said, uh, Nick, we're, we're looking at an America that has fallen apart at the seams. We're looking at America that is not mentally strong. We're looking at an America that is not tough. Uh, we're looking at an America that is completely falling apart. That's being handed to you, which you in turn will have to hand to either your children or your grandchildren or, or friends, uh, grandchildren and so on. And what is one thing in this current state in, in the current state of the United States that bothers you the most? All right. So, uh, thanks for all the kind words to begin with, man. I appreciate that. Um, you know, respect is worth more than any money in the world. And, uh, and that means a lot in the capacity that I serve most in my job now, as you know, is, uh, in the training training division. So I spend all of my time teaching classes and taking classes to try to become better at relaying information, making more officers safer uh, with how they do their jobs. And that's being severely affected right now. A great example is the basic class that I'm teaching right now. These these kids, and I used to just say that out of habit, but now it really is kids. Most of them, they're 18 and 19 years old. Very rarely yep. do we get somebody in their 30s anymore. Yep. And part of that well, is no, because they're, nobody, they're lowering wants, hiring standards. Nobody wants, well, also nobody wants to do the job you're doing, man. No, nobody That's wants to step up and do the job. And Particularly for the pay that we're offering. Yeah, and, and, you, and you have kids who are stepping out of high school. They're looking for an opening in the world. They don't want to go military. Um, they might not want to commit fully to being a road cop. And so the door open to them is correctional offices. And that plays a huge part in the, the reason that 18 and 19-year-olds are stepping up to do a correctional officer's job, which is a tremendous responsibility for that age. It, it is. Um, and frankly, most of them don't have it. Uh, you asked what I thought the, the biggest problem is. Uh, to me, it's mindset. You know, we've mm. got we've got a situation mm. where society. I, I agree with you. Uh, I think we're we're in terrible shape as a society because of the ideology being forced upon society by the damn politicians on both sides. So, you know, they're they're reigniting the debate about gun control now uh, because of the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. Um, the argument is again becoming. We shouldn't allow weapons of war in our streets. It shouldn't be illegal for an 18-year-old individual to legally obtain a rifle, a semi-automatic rifle. Right. Yet, it's absolutely legal for an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old even, to sign up into the military and carry yep. that rifle in combat. That's perfectly yep. fine. It's entirely acceptable socially for a 5-year-old to decide whether they want to be a boy or a girl now. That's mm. ridiculous. You've got 
chemically, all right, science deniers is what the left keeps calling us, but it's science that says your brain isn't fully developed until you're in your early 20s. You're not even making good sound decisions until you're in your early 20s. Right. So, but a five-year-old is okay to make the decision about what gender they want to spend the rest of their life at. Stop it. It's so let a me ask you, problem that we're seeing. Let me ask you this, Nick, and and not shedding light on my own personal beliefs that I'm sure you are aware of, but uh, for for the sake of discussing, as a as a generally right wing person who has a libertarian streak, as you described yourself, when you look at this situation of five year olds and and eighteen year olds carrying weapons, and and of course myself, I signed the dotted line at seventeen years old with my parents' signature. Um, if somebody were to agree with you and say, you know what, Nick, you're right. The brain is not fully developed until 25 years of age. So let's change the drinking age to 25, the enlistment age to 25, the gun, the right to own a weapon to 25, and the right to change your gender to 25. Would you agree as – would you agree to that compromise? Because many times people on the right and people on the left, they argue in a logical manner – uh, but their logic can easily be swapped. So you say, how can you say it's not right uh, to have a gun at 18, but decide your gender at five? And how can you decide your gender at five if your brain doesn't fully develop until your you know, mid-20s? So using that same logic, would you agree to certain things uh, regarding that if everything else was raised? 25 to purchase alcohol, 25 to join the military, 25 to own a gun, 25 to change your gender. Well, I don't know. Um, it, it, like all things, it depends on the circumstances. What I want to see is consistency, and that's the point of the argument that you're mm -hmm. asking for a five-year-old to be able to change their gender yet. At 18, you can sign up for the military, but yet the civilian 18-year-old can't get a gun until they're 21, 25, whatever the case. Facts. If we're going to decide that 18 is old enough to make decisions to sign your life on the dotted line, then everything should be 18. Although, if we decide that you're not developmentally mature enough to make good decisions until you're 25, then yeah, let's talk about moving everything to 25, including your right to vote. I agree. I, I, I completely agree with you. And consistency, you said the word consistency and not to just chase rabbit trails here, but we are, my podcast is very free flowing and we kind of discuss what comes, but talking about consistency and especially consistency on this point is something I have I have witnessed in very few people. I, as a young man, I'm, I'm 21 years of age, as you know, and I turned 22 soon. I'm in Ukraine. I've been here. Uh, I took a small break, but I've been here since the first week of March. And uh, consistency is something I fail to see across the board when it comes to politics. And especially in America, it's highlighted by the, the right wing. They failed to call Donald Trump out um, on his support for red flag laws his yep. support for raising the minimum age to 21, his support yep. for um, when he, when he spoke in support of no knock raids, um, he supported bigger background checks and, and the right failed to call that out. And now right. they're calling it out on the left. Now, as a, as a person who is right wing. And, and once again, I'm not only attacking the right wing, most, the majority of my podcast is highlighting hypocrisy on the left and right. So don't take it as me just simply attacking the right wing. Although it sounds like that a lot of times because, you know, nobody else calls them out in a logical manner, but as someone who is somewhat right wing, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about, uh, you know, Joe Biden, who is openly, treading or attempting to tread on the second amendment and Donald Trump who enforced supported signed 
and endorsed more gun control legislation than the presidents, the two presidents combined before him. How do you feel about this? Yeah, you're right. I agree with you completely. Hypocrisy is abhorrent, no matter where it comes from. And people's inability to call it out is nothing more than political expediency. If Mm. it benefits their particular party for their particular needs at that particular time, then they'll be for it. Other than that, they got nothing to say. And that is that is why. You know, I was an active member of my local Republican committee for a while, a long while, a couple of years, until I started to see this pattern of bullshit. And I, I left. You know, I still, like I said, identify more with the right side of the political spectrum. But, you know, I'm not I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm certainly not going to support it with my, my hard-earned money. Yeah. The fact remains that the Democrats typically are the best gun salesmen in the world because they'll run their mouth and they'll say all of these things that they're going to do, like Beto O'Rourke. Like Robert yeah. Francis O'Rourke. Sorry, I hate it when people call him Beto. The, the man is not Latino. He, well, he's he is. Irish for Christ's sake. But like that's him. beside the point. I like they they do all the talking, <laughs> right? So they want to drive all that talking drives gun sales. Donald Trump was more insidious with his support of all of the things that you mentioned because he actually did it. He was actually more devastating to the Second Amendment rights of the United States in his actions than any of the talking from the left. And that's absolutely abhorrent. Yeah. Yeah, and and I completely I, I respect the fact that you acknowledge, acknowledge it because, and I, I don't know if you've listened to any of my previous podcasts, but uh, I believe uh, one of the last ones I did, um, myself and my guest discussed the fact that many people will sacrifice their principles for their party, mm-hmm. and it's something I've I've noticed repeatedly as a young man growing up. Um, we all have hopes and dreams. We all pick people, you know, that kind of stand out to us or who we look up to and then to be betrayed by those people uh, for instance to, to use an example um owen schroyer i don't know if you know who that is um no. but he's a uh, do you know who alex jones is no, of course so alex jones uh, used to make sense back in the day um yeah. before he became he what i believe i believe is control opposition uh, but he used to make sense. Well, one of his one of his biggest young men that he puts everywhere is Owen Schroyer. And Owen Schroyer was somebody that I, as a young man, looked up to. And um, and, and once once again, this all ties into the sacrifice and principles for party. Uh, I was in. I watched Owen Schroyer get arrested. I believe it was outside the, the Senate. I can't remember exactly. Um, he had duct tape over his mouth. He held a sign. And he was removed for exercising his freedom of speech. And he won my respect that day. The day he lost my respect was he came to Richmond, Virginia, with a group of gentlemen um, under Alex Jones's banner. And on a street that was blocked off on either end, on a street that we paid taxes on, him and his crowd chanted back the blue while the police actively shoved them and pushed them off of the street, the street that we have every right to the street that we have the right to access Uh, that, that man's people told me and my crew to move off the street out of respect for the police. And of course we refused because that's, that's what we do. And that's the day I lost respect for him. And and seeing things as a young man like that has completely disheartened me. It's completely made me want to say, I give up. I'm done. What would you in your shoes uh, as, as an older man who's who's seen a lot, what would be your advice to someone like myself and and, the, and my listeners who are generally young? I believe my my analytics, I have over 100 listeners who are under the age of 25. What would be your advice to those of us who are losing faith 
in the people we're supposed to look up to. Okay. Well, that's a great point. Um, man, I love that question. If you reach your hand out to a stray dog and he bites you, do you blame the dog? Mm. Mm. If you put so much trust in a politician, when everybody's opinion of a politician is that they're snakes and they you turn around and bite you, yeah. do you blame the snake for being a snake? So right. politics is politics is a tricky, tricky thing. All we can do is lend our support, get to know the candidates for one thing, right? Interact with these candidates, ask them hard pressing questions. And when we feel that we know them well enough, support them as best we can. Yep. But understand they're still politicians. They're still people. They're still humans and, and subject to flaw. And understand, too, that the environment that they're going to be in, whether it's in Richmond, Virginia or in Washington, D.C., the environment is so toxic that it would take an extraordinary person to not succumb to all of that business. And we encourage them to be extraordinary for the reasons we sent them to represent us. But at the same time, they're still a politician. Mm. So I can't be but so upset. Now, the, the recourse is remove them when they start showing that they're not capable of our trust anymore. Right. But not to put so much trust and faith in a politician that it destroys you when they turn on you. Now, you're 100 percent right. And, and I agree with you completely. Um, I think that we have as young as young people in this country, uh, you have two two types of young people. Um, you have the one side that is raised to um, question nothing, uh, accept what they're shown Um and that's usually your, your leftist liberals. Um, and then you have, you have the, 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 the conservatives who are raised and, and I was raised more conservative than, uh, 95% of my listeners and probably 95% of the people in America today. Uh, but you have my side that was raised to respect and accept law enforcement to do as they say, and to support Republicans regardless. Um, and so when that trust comes to politicians, it's a lot of times it's because of the way we were raised. Uh, we're taught to accept it. We're taught to respect. Um, we're taught to to believe. And oftentimes it's been betrayed. We, we've been betrayed uh, by these very politicians. And it's, it's a hard it's a hard lesson to learn. Now, to jump into some more questions, because I put out some some feelers on social media kind of saying who. Uh, what type of guest I was having on today. And, and some people hit me up with some questions and I want to repeat them to you as a, as a correctional officer, what is one of the, what is one of the hardest aspects about your job when it comes to um, your constitutional beliefs? Hmm. The fact that I don't always agree with I don't always agree with the law the way that it's written right and there are some circumstances where to enforce the law um, actually seems contradictory to my understanding what the Constitution says right now it's easier right. on our end because we're not actually making the arrest all we're doing is holding it holding a person on the order you're, you're, you're not putting anybody behind bars you're not you know, you're not violating technically anyone's direct constitutional right. Uh, Correct. So, you're, in yeah. my from from where I operate, 
it's actually pretty cut and dry. Um, there are certain constitutional rights that are not afforded incarcerated individuals. Um, the protection of the rights that they are afforded is absolute, and there's no crossing that. I don't care. It, it, sometimes that works to the inmate's advantage when other officers who aren't as, uh, let's say, cognizant of the Constitution, although, uh, side note, you know, I hand out pocket constitutions to everyone that ever expresses an interest. Um, right. There's no excuse not to know it. I've handed out 30 to 40, uh, three to 400 um, pocket constitutions, right. which, which I pay for, by the way. But um, <laughs> sometimes the, the Constitution, the rule of law, benefits the inmates' behavior when it would be so much easier for us to say, look, if we just pretend that this, you know, circumstance didn't exist, then we could penalize the inmate. You know what? Then maybe it would. But the law, the, the job of the law enforcement officer is not to be easy. It's to safeguard the liberties of all the people protected under the Constitution. Right. And if you're willing to sacrifice even the smallest detail, then you've sacrificed it all. And we can't, we just can't have that. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. Now, with that being said, um, correctional officers are supposed um, – now, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but depending on the scenario, they either fall under um, the control of the state or they fall under the control of the local sheriff, correct? Um, yes, basically. Um, the jail that I work at is, is what's called a regional jail. So it's not a sheriff's department run jail. I, I'm a regional jail officer. And basically what that means is several localities, several counties and cities joined together and created some sort of an agreement that uh, we as an authority would be afforded the ability to uh, exercise the control that a sheriff's office would. And there's, you know, from the state, there's financial benefits to doing that. And that's the reason that, that they exist. Um, right. The misconception comes a lot from inmates who are sentenced. So in Virginia, inmates who are sentenced to more than 12 months, right? So if, if their sentence says 12 months, those words or less, they go. they're considered, they're considered a local inmate. They're, they're not uh, state prison inmates. If right. their sentence is one year or more then they're, they're state inmates. Now the state has standards that must be met. And people mis misunderstand and say that the local jails are required to fall under the state minimum standards. Well, that's not the case. Um, and that it's a trifling distinction. But what we're required to fall under is the State Bureau of Prisons, not Department of Corrections. Right. Um, the standards are not the same. And so an inmate that is a state inmate, while housed in our local facilities, is not afforded the same privileges that they would be if they were in a state facility. Correct. And so the way that it works is, you know, it's a little, it's a little inside baseball to, to understand the details, but the way that you described it is, is accurate enough. Yeah. And, and I've worked, I've worked both sides. I've worked for the prison system. Um, I've worked in a uh, Baskerville uh, prison, the prison in Baskerville um, and Ludenberg as well. And then I've worked in the, the jail system and I've seen the, uh, the different privileges to afforded inmates and such and, and the differences uh, the reason I asked that question is because during, uh, 2020, during the summer of 2020, there were correctional officers, um, that were used across the state to help quell, 
were dispersed protests. They were used to reinforce law enforcement officers. Now, a lot of these guys were DOC. They were correctional officers um, from state prisons. If you, as a constitutionalist, received an order that, hey, we need you on duty tonight, and, and this is a question from one of my listeners, we need you on duty tonight, uh, there's a right-wing uh, gun rights protest um, in slightly outside of D.C. Uh, everybody's on duty. There's thousands and thousands of gun right activists there. Uh, we need your help uh, to disperse this protest. You, as a apparent uh, constitutionalist, um, how would you respond to that? How And how? furthermore, how would you feel about that? Okay. So a distinction needs to be made here. Uh, once, and again, it seems like a small point, but it's not. The Constitution, the First Amendment, allows for the redress of grievances and peaceable assembly. What we saw in 2020, over 570 cases throughout the summer of 2020, was anything but peaceable. People do not have the right to gather together and destroy shit. That's called a riot. So if we're if it's simply um, D.C. Metro reaching out for extra help uh, for security purposes because they suspect a lawful assembly might become dangerous. Then I don't see a problem. There's so, nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with standing by in case something happens. And then everyone's just standing there participating in the process. So, if the assembly is lawful and there's nothing to worry about, then nothing happens. When an assembly becomes unlawful, which is what would be declared, that decision is going to be made by the chief law enforcement officer of that area. Correct. Correct. Based based on laws and, and what the Constitution says. Once a once a gathering is is an assembly is declared unlawful then you don't know you no longer have a right you're not exercising your right to protest Mm -hmm. you're now a riot so So that's a fine line right (laughs) yes it is (laughs) it leads me into my my follow-up question for that is uh so what is lawful within regards to the defense of the constitution and this this is probably the most important question i will ask you this entire interview and this is my own personal question what do you deem lawful in defense of the Constitution? Because I promise you what you deem, Nick, what you say is lawful in defense of the Constitution or what is right in the defense of the Constitution. I promise you the government will not say this is this is right. This is lawful. Uh, so how how are you as a law enforcement individual going to uh, going to decide, going to see that fine line in between lawful and unlawful and what's right and what's wrong? So, so what you're really drilling down to is, would I refuse to participate if I feel that law enforcement is violating the Constitution? Mm, more so if the protesters are defending the Constitution in a potentially violent manner. All right, so there's a difference between potential violence and, and actual violence. Okay, let's, right, go so, so let, let, let's go with actual. Let's go with actual. There's actual violence. It's a defense of the Constitution. It's a, um, it's a stand because you know. Let, let me let me backpedal just a little bit and kind of bring this question into a little more perspective. Um, 
Richmond in 2021 made it illegal to open carry a firearm on public property without a concealed carry license. Um, myself and several men who are like-minded to me with, without the Virginia Citizens Defense League and the other Republicans who had bragged about, you know, standing up for gun rights in 2020, we marched into Richmond. We broke the law. We opened carry with no concealed carry permits. We carried magazines above the legal limit. We actively and openly broke the law in defense of the Constitution. And at any point during that time, they could have tried to shut us down. And of course, I had already talked to my men. We were willing to die. We were willing to stand there and die. We were not going to be arrested. We were going to defend our right, our constitutional right. Um, and what we were doing is completely unlawful and illegal. Uh, but we did it anyways. So where do you draw the line on your support of law enforcement and your support of following orders versus someone being because because you said yourself, you know, there's a difference in being lawful and unlawful. So where do you draw the line there? I won't follow unconstitutional orders. And if a law is abhorrent to the Constitution, I'm not enforcing that law. That's my perspective. And I'm in charge of my team. If my team is there in a capacity to assist law enforcement and they start making decisions, law enforcement at, the, at that, that situation starts making decisions that violate the Constitution, we're pulling out and going home. I respect it. Happen. I'm, not, I'm not enforcing an unconstitutional law. A law – and so the process by which that bullshit happens – and this is a convoluted process that shouldn't even be this way. It should be simpler. It's very simply written in the Constitution. Shall not be infringed is not ambiguous, okay? Right. And, and I know we agree on this point. To be arrested, for a person to sue the state, they have to have standing. Uh, standing means you have to incur, have incurred some sort of a loss, like being arrested. Once you're arrested, then you can sue the state on the fact that you were arrested on an unconstitutional law. Then you can get that situation before the Supreme Court. That's the way that has to happen, and that's bullshit. The Supreme Court should be able to, at the at the signing of that law, the Supreme Court, the checks and balances, the way that it's designed, it says, that's not a constitutional law. We strike it. You're done. Right. So, no, I'm not enforcing an unconstitutional law. The city passed a law that is in contrast to the Constitution. Mabry versus, Mabry versus Madison said any law that is passed that is in contrast with the Constitution is abhorrent to it. Yep. Right? You can't do that shit. Just because you group of individuals pass it does not make it so because it's got to be congruent with the Constitution. Period. And yeah, and, and I agree. I believe uh, I, I was trying to find the, uh, the case law here. Um, uh, Supremacy Clause of the Constitution, Article 6, Clause 2. Um, let's see. Here we go. Um, the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution of the United States, Article 6, namely, Clause 2, establishes that the Constitution, federal laws made pursuant to it, and treaties made under its authority constitute the supreme law of the land, and thus take priority over any conflicting state laws. And uh, when, when I was arrested, I was arrested in Newport News. I was told by, note, a Republican cop um, to disarm. I had gone and spoken at a city council meeting that was had proposed a law to ban the open carry of firearms. Um, it was passed. I returned open carrying peacefully. Um, I was told to disarm. I refused. I was told again to disarm. I refused. And I told the cop, you know, 
every every law must fall in line with the state. Every state law must fall in line with the constitution. Every constitutional law must fall in line with. I mean, my bad. Every every law must fall in line with the state. Every state must fall in line with the federal, and federal must fall in line with the constitution. Sadly, right. that has been horrifically lost in translation. Nick, we look at. Yeah. We go back to the 1980s, the ban of, uh, I believe it was 1980s, but the ban of fully automatic weapons. Um, well, it was Brady Bill. It was early 90s, the Brady Bill. Uh, yep, early 90s. Um, and, and Ronald Reagan was a huge proponent of that. And it, it, it honestly, which Actually, I, that I happened under, no, that happened under Bill Clinton. It did, but Ronald Reagan was a huge proponent of it verbally as a political figure. Um, it's one of the things that really bothered me about a lot of Republicans supporting Ronald Reagan is the fact that he was not. Uh, as pro-constitution as people like to claim he and he definitely was not pro-second amendment um he was a but huge backer of democrat the, from california so you're not gonna give yeah. him so much <laughs> he was a huge backer of the brady bill and uh that that little bit started it started there and it proceeded from there and what worries me nick is not so much the fact that i think that a law enforcement officer, regardless of who it is, utilized by the state is going to come to my door and say, hey, sacrifice, give up your AR, give up your pistol. Uh, you know, we're, we're confiscating it. I'm not worried about that. That's not going to happen. And if it does happen, I'm going to die on my doorstep, it, point blank, period. But what bothers me and what worries me, Nick, and what should worry you as a, a, a right winger, as a constitutionalist, um, is the fact that it's never going to be that much. It's going to be a little bit. It's going to be a little bit here, a little bit there. And police officers enforce it. Police officers say, it's my job. It's not confiscation of weapons. Okay. You have a fully automatic weapon. You're going to jail. Okay. You're a felon regardless of now. I'm not going to get into the discussion of violent versus nonviolent. That's not for this podcast at this time, but you're a felon. You have this weapon. You shouldn't have it. Um, you're a 17-year-old who has this weapon. You shouldn't have it. Okay, you're going to be charged. Um, everything is a buildup to a climax of complete uh, disallowance of, of weaponry. And I think a lot of police officers have fallen into the trap because, I mean, they've been doing it for, you know, longer than I've been alive and, and probably longer than you've been alive, um, enforcing these small infringements. And that's what really bothers me, Nick, is the fact that my children – my generation and then my children are going to have to deal with these small infringements and, and there's nothing we could and they think it's yeah, but, and they think it's right yeah so and, I, I agree what you're realizing is the insidious slow knife of socialism the brilliance of the left and i'm talking the far left which is basically the entire left in america now anyway um the blue dog democrat died back in this back in the late 90s I will, um, I will argue you on that one point that it's not the far left. I would say it's the liberals uh, because the far left is not anti-gun. Um, but I don't know how much you have, you know, you've studied the works of Marx and the such, but I do understand your point. So please, please continue. I just want to make that note for my listeners. All right. Well, I think again, we're going to have to discuss and decide what defines a far left because the, the Marxists, as far as I understand, are the farthest left wing of the Democrat party. But um, Correct. And Marxists are knife, Right. It's, it's a slow. Well, so they they differentiate who like they think only the government should have the guns, not the private no, citizens. Wrong. Wrong. Um, so uh, basically, Marx says that under no pretext should arms and ammunition be surrendered. Any attempts to um, 
disarm the workers must be fr frustrated by force if ne necessary. It's a very popular quote by Karl Marx, and it's heavily quoted by the far left uh, when it comes to defensive weaponry. Um, the people that are portrayed as the left or farther left are not true leftists. They're liberals. Uh, the Democrats are not far left. Your liberals and your Democrats are the ones. And, and this is the reason I have these discussions on my podcast, Nick, because you can teach me some things. And also you may learn some things as well. But the the far left, the ones who are under Karl Marx and the such are actually very pro gun and gun rights advocates, but they're not constitutionalist. Um, and then your your liberals, your Democrats, the people who are kind of median left are anti-gun and believe uh, hypocritically that police are the only ones that should have guns. Um, I so I just I do want to make that clarification for the listeners. OK, good to go. So if my understanding it, if I wrap my brain around that, then Marx would be in support of the workers having the guns in support of revolution. Correct. He, he would be okay. cor correct. But his. Okay. His political theory is very it's 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 basically for lack of without going into it too dark. It's socialism too deep. It's socialism. Um, but he's very pro guns because he believes the workers should have the power. But then his political theory completely contradicts uh, the freedom of the workers. You know, so it's kind of right. eh, uh, right. not something so I'd agree with. But I just want to make that add, uh, if we were to add another wrinkle into that progressivism, there's yeah. no party. Right. I will, right. I will tell you right now that uh, everything that I've seen about the Bush family, progressives, both senior and junior, they're progressives. Right. Um, Woodrow Wilson was a progressive Democrat. And I right. believe we can we could uh, if we trace the lines back in history to where the crap that we're suffering through now, I think we can trace it back to Woodrow Wilson as a president and his policies. Huh. Huh. Um. Yeah, the New Deal was the beginning. It was the it was the found work, uh, foundation work. It was the groundwork for the socialist network that exists in America now. Um, but anyway, would you go back to the slow knife of socialism? It's it's the frog in the pot theory, right? So if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, they're going to jump out. People recognize, and, and people are, let's face it, people are stupid. Groups of people, they're dumb. They're sheep. They're they're livestock. Critical thinking, as you pointed out, stop it being taught. In the early 80s, even when I was in school, critical thinking wasn't a thing. They don't train thinkers anymore. They've not educated people in America. They educate workers. They, they want you to know just enough to be a good, productive worker. Correct. That's, that's terrible. Um, but if you put a pot, if you put a, a frog in a pot of cold water and then slowly turn it up, he's not going to notice that it's hot until he's cooked. Right. So this is this is the insidious genius of socialism and but we're here yep we're cooking and i you know so if, if i step out of out of my different roles if you ask me personally as who i am i'm a little bit more um let's just say you and i agree on a lot of things we just chose to uh express it differently correct um, i am an absolute the, the fact uh, to paraphrase Right. The blood of uh, the tree of liberty must from time to time be watered with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Right. I I um, I'm just going to say it. I don't think January 6th went far enough. No, I want to I want to see politicians uh, suffer real consequences for the abdication of the, the Constitution, the absolute disregard 
of the founding documents of this country in the right. name of some mysterious straw person who they say the public wants this or that. You know, that's that's one of the big arguments now that they're trying to drum up. They're trying to gin up their base for the November elections, the midterms with abortion, because somebody leaked that the Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, that's that's the whole that that that's what political parties have built the elections off of for years is, you know, if, if Republicans wanted to end abortion, they would have by now. And if they wanted to institute total uh, Second Amendment freedom and First Amendment freedom, they would have by now. And if Correct. Democrats wanted to uh, make abortion completely legal and OK or completely cause a war by confiscating weapons, they would have by now. Uh, but neither one of them really want to do this. They just want to drum up support for their political parties year after year, every two years, every four years. And people fall people fall prey to this because working off of what you said, uh, everybody's taught to think just enough to think they're right and go along with the party and be a good worker and be a good boy and support the masses. So I completely get where you're coming from, and I agree. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. That's why identity politics has become such a God, yeah. fervent, fervent issue, especially in schools. I think it's it's intentionally taught that way. Yeah. Don't don't think for yourself. Think what the group wants you to think. And if you agree with the group, then you you got it made. You're set. You're good. Right. Right. And going back on the January 6th thing as somebody who I mean, I speaking firsthand. My name, I was name dropped in Congress during the hearing. My name was mentioned by Donald Trump's defense team. Um, so I can I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt and beyond the shadow of anybody else's doubt that obviously um, I have a little bit of, of knowledge concerning January 6th. And yeah. I do not believe for one second that it was a false flag. I do not believe for one second that it was leftists or liberals working out the crowd. I believe it was uh, right-wing Americans who were pissed off um, and they pushed the limits. The problem is, and, and I'm not asking you to agree with me on that or disagree with me on that because, frankly, I, I don't care what you think about it. But I think we will agree on the, pro on the problem here. I think the problem is uh, that you should not start something you don't intend to finish. And – um, and, and of course, I have to be very careful with what I say here because I don't want to be kicked off of Spotify. And, and as a disclaimer, I don't support any uh, racist groups or hate groups or anything like that. But I think the problem is uh, whether you're left wing or right wing, you cannot start something you're not going to finish. And what happened on that day and what has happened for years among the right wing is they continue to start things that they're not willing to commit to. Mm -hmm. uh, you had you had Alex Jones walking around, and I called him out for this for, for his 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 utter hypocrisy and baloney and denial. He walks around saying, you know, seventeen seventy six two And I told him, I'm like, Alex, you do realize what happened in seventeen seventy six, right? You do realize it wasn't people waving signs and holding up a flag. It was people killing other people and bloodshed in the street. Um, and then you know, January sixth happens. Uh, he participates and then he starts backpedaling. Oh no, this is so terrible. Uh, this was the left left wing people. Blah, 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 blah. And right, right. I want to see. I want to see the right wing. I disagree with the right wing. I disagree with the left wing. But I want to see the right actually commit to something. If they would commit, if they would commit, they would win back some of my former respect for them. And that's the issue. The the GOP has no backbone. 
And I'll get as an example, I'll give you this, and this is a little bit older one. This this may even been before you were paying much attention to politics. I don't know when you started paying attention, but uh, when I was to, thirteen, so okay. two thousand and thirteen. So if um, if we go back to the Affordable Care Act, right, right, uh, that shit was passed in the in the middle of the night on like December twenty third. I don't know if it was Christmas Eve, but it was right before the uh, Christmas break obsession that was in Obama's second year before the midterms, which he got smoked in, by the way, which usually happens. Actually, that's pretty normal. Yeah. Um, the Republican majority in Congress at the time, they because they took the majority. Right. I want to say that was 2010. It was 2000. Well, it was 2010 when it was signed into law. Um, but yeah. So they, they took uh, the House, the Republicans took back majority in the House and they um, they voted some, I want to say, and, and you'll have to fact check me here. It's, it was a bunch. It was more than 30. I want to say it was about 37 votes to repeal Obamacare. Yet when they got the White House, when Donald Trump was elected and they still had control of Congress, uh, they had the ability to pass it where a president would sign it. It never happened. They didn't do it again. So they were willing to cast their votes when they knew that it wasn't actually going to result in anything. But when they actually had the ability to affect the change they've been hollering for, for four years at that point, nothing. Yeah. And, and I believe, uh, uh, let's see, and I'll give you some accurate numbers. Um, in 2011, Republicans gained control of the house of representatives. Um, and they passed the, the repealing of that act. Um, the house passed 245 to 189. And even three Democrats voted for repeal. Um, however, you know, President Obama said he would veto the bill, even if it had passed both chambers of Congress. Um, in in uh, 2013 to 14, um, uh, Republicans introduced an act to repeal the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. Um, and that was, I'm looking for the exact numbers. Uh, I can't find the numbers, but so on. It goes on into 2018, as you said, uh, when they had the power to actually do it. And that leads back into the whole thing I was saying to begin with is everything that Republicans offer us, everything Democrats offer us is nothing more than a preaching point for our vote and not truly a uh, something they're going to do. And Correct. they do I really, not stand with the conviction of their principles. And that's the right. bottom line. They don't. And, and neither do. I neither do probably 70% of Americans, Nick, uh, we've got, That's you know, fair. we, we have a lot of people who voted for Joe Biden based upon the sole fact that they hated Donald Trump. It was yep. not about, it was not about the fact that, you know, his, his policies are better because frankly, they're not. Um, it's not about, uh, anything beyond their hatred for Donald Trump. And on that same note, uh, the, a lot, I, I want to say the majority um, I really want to say the majority because I talked to, I don't know, man, I've talked to, I, I could easily say thousands I have heard from of people who voted for Trump and, and just my overall study. But a lot of people voted for Trump for either because of their hatred of Joe Biden or because of their love for the controversy that Trump brought. And it had nothing to do with policy. And yep. uh, Nick, it's, it's damning us as a country, man. Uh, we, we think you know, we and, and we have no other way out, man. It's it's frustrating. And obviously, like I said, my podcast is is free flowing. But, man, I'm going to rant a little bit here. It's it's very freaking frustrating 
that I, as a 21 year old young man, I love my country. I love what it's supposed, not what it represents now, God forbid that, but what it's supposed to represent, I love it. I would die. I, I, I signed the dotted line for my country. I would give my life for my country. Um, but I'm having to look at people who do not vote alongside of principles. They, they, they refuse to. And if I say, if I say hey, uh, Republican, you're wrong. Uh, this is not constitutional. I get called a leftist, a liberal, a Democrat. And if, if I call the, if I tell the left or the, or the Democrats, I say, Hey, you know, I'm going to, for example, black lives matter. Um, I told them if you're peacefully protested, I'll stand here in the street and I will fight police officers for your right to protest. If you're peacefully protesting. Um, but I don't necessarily agree with what some of the, uh, some of the things that you're saying or some of the things you're doing. And then, you know, I'm a far right. I'm a, and I don't want to say this word on the air, but N-A-Z-I, um, you know, that's what I am. And the complete polarization among Americans, man, is what's destroying America. And yeah. I, I'm stuck. I don't know how to fix it. I want to fix it. I won't help it, but I don't know what to do, man. It, you know, you, you can't save the whole world. And right. all politics is local. So you start by one, knowing where you stand and you know that too yeah your your low your your close sphere of influence if you maintain that consistency that you spoke about earlier yeah you're, you're consistent in where you stand and and the statements you make and the decisions that you make right then people will begin to recognize and it takes time and your sphere your sphere of influence will grow you've actually got a pretty big uh, uh pretty big audience you've got you've got the ability to impact a lot of people and right and i think it's i don't think it's great man I'm, I'm happy as hell for for what you're able to accomplish and who you're able to talk to because you know largely i think we agree on a lot of different things and so i like the idea that these um these ideas are getting out to more people i right. stood at a, a, a black lives matter um assembly in bedford in virginia right. um one of my co-workers who i respect deeply is passionate about that, right? And who in their right mind would object with the phrase, the fact and the phrase that black lives matter? Of course they do. But they're not the only ones that matter, but of course they matter. The issue is not with the phrase itself. The issue is with the political movement. There we go. And, there we go. And, right. And that's that's a separate issue completely. Right. Right. So it's not about what you do. It's about your right to say it. I don't have to agree with you. There we support go. Your right to say it. And that's the important thing. That's right. And, and I find you more reasonable than, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, admitted, uh, right wing, uh, uh, constitutionalist claim claimers, uh, that I've spoken to. Um, but, but I, I, I completely agree. Uh, what, and we've got about, I think uh, maybe 14, 15 more minutes here. Uh, if you're able to stay for that long. Um, good, bro. so, if you're talking to my listeners and we have people who are your age and, and Nick, I don't tell me how old you are. Um, once again, I, I do want to, um, to keep your identity somewhat shrouded uh, as I do for all of my, all of my, all of my guests. But as you're at your age, you're sitting here talking um, to a 21 a year old young man. Uh, you know me. Um, you don't know, 
you don't know me very well personally, but we've had conversations. You know who I am. You know what I believe. You kind of know how I think. Uh, and I'm sitting here uh, talking about America. And I'm, I'm saying all this to lead up to a point. I'm sitting here talking about Amer America, the problems with America and such. And many people your age um, would tell me that my place is to sit down. My place is to be silent. My place is to... And, and I say that with confidence because I've experienced, I've experienced the men your age telling me you don't know anything because you're young. Uh, you don't have enough experience. Um, you need to shut up. It's not your place. Sit down. Uh, but then on the same time, I've heard him say, why don't you get active for your country? Why don't you stand up for what you believe in? Why don't you take the avenues that have been presented? The problem is those avenues are clogged by men who have been there for years and are not going anywhere, i.e. Bernie Sanders, i.e. Nancy Pelosi. And I, I say men loosely because I mean females also. Uh, Joe Biden, career politicians, whether they're left wing or right wing. Uh, and, and this is an issue. So what I'm saying is you're sitting here having a conversation with someone who is, you know, half your age and uh, or thereabout. Um no, I was going to make I was going to make a joke, but I'm going to let it go. Uh, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but you're sitting here having a conversation, and you know I've 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 argued you on a couple points. I've agreed on you with several. What would be your advice to my listeners uh, who are the, the same age as you who are unsure about uh, listening to what I have to say? So, uh, who am I uh, to give advice to anyone? Quite frankly, um, well, you're who I'm talking to. You're you're my listener. Uh, you are you're someone who has taken the time to come on the show and have a conversation with me, and you're listening to what I have to say. And I kind of want you to share your opinion uh, to people who are your age, who might be on the fence concerning whether giving me a listening ear or just completely shutting me off because of my age. Okay. So something comes to mind. It's, it's a thought. It's a, it's a principle that most of my life has been in my memory, and I couldn't even tell you where I heard it. I believe it's an ancient Greek philosophy, but a mark of intelligence is the ability to listen to a thought without having to agree with it, to consider mm -hmm. an idea without having to agree with it, right? Mm -hmm. Why should anybody ever be afraid to listen to an idea? without feeling like the need to either agree or disagree, just consider the idea. That's where we've, we've gone. We've lost that the ability to converse and disagree. Right. But still be friends. The idea, right. the ability to completely disagree with each other, but not disavow each other. Right. You know, of course with limitations, nothing is absolute, right. But yeah, obviously to converse, it's a, to the public discourse, the exchange of ideas is supposed to be what free speech is about. So the ability of the government not to be able to stamp out our ability to express our thoughts is enshrined in the First Amendment, along with four other rights in the First Amendment. But free right. speech, that's what it is, right? We can stand in the public square and have an exchange of ideas. And the government, as a government agency, can't come and say, you shall not say that. That's not that's not lawful in this country. Right. That needs to be remembered among the the population. Man, we can we can talk and we can disagree. By the way, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I hope we get to have more. Definitely. Um, the idea that. You know, I listen to all kinds of things I don't agree with, 
because I might, I might just learn something. You taught me something about marks that I didn't know. I've studied marks a little bit, but I missed that feature that yeah. you mentioned about the gun control, right? So that's good. That helps me grow as an individual too. Yeah. And, and it's one thing I've encouraged on several of my podcasts is, you know, you may not agree with what I have to say uh, to, to my listeners may not agree to, to what I have to say, may not agree to what Nick has to say, but if you, if you just take your time to listen, you can glean something, even if it's only a little bit that might change your perspective. And the reason I've arrived at the point I am in my life and the beliefs that I have is because I've been open-minded and I haven't been completely shut off to new ideas. I haven't been, uh, I've been open-minded. I've listened, I've developed my point of views and I stand by those firmly, but I'm always willing to listen to the other side of the conversation. And uh, it's refreshing to be able to discuss with you, Nick, these point of views, uh, because I mean, as you said yourself, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, without shutting somebody off or, you know, things like that, that happens consistently across the U.S. We've had, we have lost the ability uh, to be able to have a, a peaceful conversation among ourselves, but that's because the bigger man has pitted us against each other and has polarized us. Um, and the further we, we fight against each other, the more power that they have. Correct. And it's just, it's hard, man. Uh, one of the things that is, and, and to, to kind of spin around a little bit and go back to the second amendment statement, um, being as it's my most passionate subject, I, I can discuss the constitutional, the constitution uh, very thoroughly. Um, but the second amendment is, is obviously my, my passion. Uh, but here in Ukraine, um, they had to have an emergency vote to give their citizens weaponry. Um, yeah. And these, these, these poor, poor bastards <laughs> were walking around uh, with negligent discharge, friendly fire, um, not knowing how to work their weapons, uh, no experience whatsoever uh, because they had no right to own them. And it's really highlighted the reason we have the second amendment in America. Now yeah. uh, it's a little more, uh, a little more polarized here because you can see uh, a highlighted need for it more so than you can in America currently. Um, but I'm hoping people lo are looking at Ukraine as an example, I was telling some of my Ukrainian friends here because here I, I'm in Kiev currently. I got, I received two weeks of leave. I've got about six, five or six days left or so. So I've just been relaxing a bit. And in the early days here in Kiev, like maybe the second week of March, I was here and they were pulling up in trucks and throwing AKs onto the street and magazines of ammunition and saying, here, 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 here. Kiev was almost around it. All of us were getting ready to fight for, for our lives here in the middle of Kiev. And now they've got signs up at the police office, uh, police department saying, you know, turn your weapon in here, turn your weapon in here because Kiev's no longer on a threat and you're still not legally allowed to own a weapon, okay. uh, uh, which which to me is mind blowing. But it's it's politicians, man. And, and Ukraine's politicians are dirty. And uh, I, I was telling some Ukrainians, you know, you you guys hold the power. It's not going to be a revolution like 2014 when you're throwing snowballs at the police, the Russian police in the square, and many of you died, but you won your freedom. You hold the power to make actual change now because you hold the weaponry. You hold the training. And many Americans have forgotten that, man. The Correct. To see the difference here, man, to come to Ukraine and see people who have no knowledge of weapons – 
stand up to fight for their country. And then at the very same freaking time, turn around and just, you know, casually hand their weapons into the police because, you know, law and order, law and order. And then to see the gun culture in America and the fact that we have our freedoms granted us for this very reason. And yet every day we compromise on it. We, we put our hands yep. up. We say, you know, it, I, I give it to Republicans. I give it to them. They're some of the most, they are the most law abiding citizens I know. And they are very, very about following the law. But at the end of, end of the day, end of the day, Nick, following the law is going to kill more people in America than it's going to save. And I really just won't, I want Republicans to wake up to that fact, man. I don't, I don't give a crap about the left, the liberals. Uh, they, they are the downfall of America. Um, but I want Republicans to wake up to this fact. And I'm hoping that you see it um, because it starts, it starts with you, Nick. It starts with me. It starts with, with, with your family. It starts with those around you to start opening eyes uh, to the fact that we as a nation are blessed, but we're damned if we, if we keep going down the path we're going. You're absolutely right. Uh, in regards to the Second Amendment, because this material was not been instructed in public schools in the last 30 to 40 years, people mm-hmm. do not have an understanding of what it's there for. They know what it, they know it's there. Okay. But it's not explained to them. So they don't understand. And because, and I know they don't understand because I see the arguments and I see the ignorant comments that are parroted across all of social media and all across the, the mainstream media. Right. Um, this, the, you know, they didn't envision whatever kinds of weapons. Bull crap. Stop that garbage. The <laughs> Second Amendment exists because these individuals just finished a revolution and won against the most powerful army on the planet at the time. So they understood intimately the importance of all of those rights enshrined. And, and it's important to remember, and I know you know this, so this is about people who may, may, may not have thought about the Constitution this deeply. The Constitution doesn't grant any rights. There we go. There we go. The government does not grant a single right. The Constitution enshrines rights granted by God and therefore cannot be removed by government because government didn't give them. Like if you read, if you, for example, if you read the first 10 amendments, none of them give anybody a right. The sole purpose of it is to place a limitation upon governmental power. Bingo. That's the sole purpose of it. And, you know, we've lost that. And that goes into and, and of course, I'm, I'm I intend to have you on for another podcast. Um, but that goes into the whole con- discussion of and, and I want my listeners to hear the literal definition of my words, not just hear the word with the connotation it brings. But that goes into the Confederacy versus federal power and right. Right. a a big uh, a big reason many people i'm not saying a reason the war between the states was fought i'm not going to get into that conversation but it's a reason that a lot of people fought for the south um for the confederacy was due to the fact that they believed that there should be limited federal government um federal yeah exactly and and like i said i'm not going to get into that whole conversation uh yet uh but I, i do uh i just you know, I, I felt the point needed to be made, but I'm going to go ahead. Uh, I think we're going to start wrapping this up. Nick, I want to say um, I'll, I'll give a closing statement real quick, and then you're welcome to to say some things yourself. But I uh, thank you for coming on, Nick. Um, I thank my listeners for listening. Um, 
as a disclaimer, uh, what I say is not representative of Nick. What Nick says is not representative of me. Um, it's also not representative of either organization, either one of us work for. It's representative of our own personal beliefs. Um, neither one of us represent any type of hate group or support any type of hate group. Um, if you would like to donate, hop into the uh, description, you'll see a cash app and a PayPal, which allows us to continue here in Ukraine as myself and many other Americans are working here uh, completely free of, uh, we're not being paid for what we do. We're simply helping uh, because that's what we're supposed to do, but everything goes towards that and keeping the podcast on the air. Um, if you're on anchor, you can sign up for monthly donations, 99 cent, $4.99, $9.99 a month. Once again, everything goes to the effort here in Ukraine to educate Ukrainian citizens on weaponry, um, to do medical runs, resupply runs, and fight when need be. Uh, so feel free to do that. Make sure to like, subscribe, share, do whatever you got to do, send to a family or friend. And uh, Nick, once again, thank you for coming on, man. The floor is yours. Um, thank you very much for having me, dude. Uh, like I said, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, this, this has been a great hour. Uh, it's actually been a fast hour. Um, I appreciate what you're doing, both over there and here on the podcast, man. Um, I agree with the message, and uh, I agree with the ability and passion with which you uh, put that message out there. All right. Thank and, you. Uh, you. Stay frosty, my friend, and uh, Slava Ukraine. Yes, sir. Hello, Slava. All right, guys. Six in Patronus. Take care.